I remember a few years ago watching the movie Hidalgo. It's great fun for the family. And um, there's always a scene in an epic adventure movie where uh, a character runs on to some ground and before he knows it, he discovers he's in sinking sand. And the more he moves, the further he sinks down, down, down. And, uh, and it's this great moment of drama and panic, unless you've seen quite a few of these adventure movies. And, uh, and what is the person trying to do? Well, they, they're, they're trying to flay out and they're trying to grab hold of something solid, something firm that's going to stop them from being completely swallowed up and smothered by this dangerous shifting sand. And I wonder, what is it when we are in crisis, when we're in trouble, what is it that we are reaching out to grab? What is it that we think is the most solid thing upon which when we grab hold of it, we will be safe? I wonder, what is it for you? Well, in Isaiah's time, the leaders of Judah were facing such a time of crisis, a national crisis. And I want you to open your Bibles to page 713, Isaiah chapter 30, page 713. What had happened? Well, they had provoked the world's superpower of the day, Assyria. They'd provoked this nation, and they watched Assyria decimate the country to the north of them. Israel, it used to be part of one national border, but it had divided into two, and they watched Assyria come in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And now the massed armies were coming in towards Judah, promising devastation. So here's the question, what are they going to grab hold of? in this time of crisis. Well, let's read Isaiah chapter 30. Woe to that obstinate to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though you have officials in Zone and their envoys have arrived in Haines, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them, who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. An oracle concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness, 
These are rebellious people, deceitful children. Children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It'll break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, Away with you. He will also send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground and the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will graze in broad meadows. The oxen and donkeys that work the soil will eat fodder and mash, spread out with fork and shovel. In that day of great slaughter, when the towers fall, streams of water will flow on every high mountain and every lofty hill. The moon will shine like the sun, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter like the light of seven full days when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people. And heals the wounds he inflicted. See, the name of the Lord comes from afar with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath. His tongue is a consuming fire. His breath is like a rushing torrent rising up to the neck. He shakes the nations in the sieve of destruction. He places in the jaws of the peoples a bit that leads them astray. And you will sing 
as on the night you celebrate a holy festival. Your hearts will rejoice as when people go up with flutes to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. The Lord will cause men to hear his majestic voice and will make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire, with cloudburst, thunderstorm and hail. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With his scepter he will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing rod will be to the music of tambourines and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. Topeth has, been, has long been prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. This is God's word. Well, please keep this open before you as we work through it. Did you notice the turning point in this chapter? It's there in verse 18. Have a look at it again. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. The ESV translates it this way. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And this is kind of the pivot verse in this chapter. Before this verse, uh, 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 lots of verses about the judgment of God. And after this verse, uh, lots of verses about how God's going to bring about salvation and deliverance. And so this is the hinge upon which this chapter works. And there's a couple of questions that we should think about this morning. Firstly, why is the Lord waiting? Why is he waiting to be gracious to them? And secondly, what does it mean to wait for the Lord? So let's think about that. Firstly, why is God longing to be gracious to them and yet waiting to do so? Why is that? Well, there's a number of reasons. And the first reason is this, because his people are rebellious children looking elsewhere for their salvation. Look back at verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help in Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. See, what we grab on in a crisis reveals what we think is really the most solid thing. And they were grabbing on to what? They were grabbing on to the hope that the military might of Egypt, their other neighbor, would provide them deliverance and salvation against this Assyrian threat that was coming down from the north. They looked to the south. To Egypt. But notice, these were not God's plans. Uh, they didn't seek God's instruction on what they should do. No, God views them like obstinate children, rebellious children, heaping sin upon sin. And through Isaiah, the Lord warns them how foolish they were being. At one level, I guess you could say, you know, it made a lot of pragmatic sense. 
a, a big army was amassing on their borders and they were looking for another army that they could see with their eyes. And Egypt had lots of horses and lots of chariots and, and surely that's what they needed in a circumstance like that. Well, it sort of made a political pragmatic sense. But of course, if they'd recalled their history, it made no sense at all. Do you remember their history? Who was it that had enslaved them for 400 years under cruel oppression? It was Egypt. And um, who was it? that delivered them from Pharaoh and his armies and all their false gods. It was the Lord. The Lord redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt and Pharaoh and all his armies were powerless against the Lord. And yet here they are, not looking to the Lord for deliverance, but looking to the very people who cruelly oppressed them. How bizarre is that? But that is the nature of spiritual rebellion. It makes no sense. Moses had specifically warned them uh, in his final sermons to them. He said to them, if you get a king, make sure the king uh, doesn't go for great numbers of horses and take the people back to Egypt. Uh, Whatever you do, you are not to go back that way. But here they are. As it says in verse 6, sending their riches and their wealth on the backs of donkeys and camels, going down to Egypt to buy promises of support from the Egyptian military might, rejecting the God who had redeemed them. This was spiritual rebellion against God. And chapter 30 is full of this language that speaks of a parent's pain to see the children that he loves just turning their face away from him and just walking away, hardening their hearts. And they're heading into willful destruction. Look at verse 3. Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. You know, the envoys have gone down to try and do the deal. Verse 5, but everyone will be put to shame. Because this people will be useless to them. There'll be no help, no advantage. The agony of the situation is twofold, isn't it? They're squandering their wealth to buy help that will be utterly useless. I feel that about car insurance, don't you? But anyway, that's by the way. It really wasn't in my notes and it shouldn't have come out of my mouth. There we are. Um, (laughs) Buying help that was useless. But that's the, the, the second tragedy is not so much that they were squandering their wealth on useless help, but they were quite purposefully rejecting God. When, they, when they're doing this, they're saying, look, we can't depend upon you, God. We have to look elsewhere. And that is why God is waiting to be gracious to them. The problem is not with God, but with them. Because they're refusing to turn to him. That's what the first eight verses are saying. And on top of that, they're also refusing to listen to God's words. Uh, Look at verse 9. These are rebellious people. Deceitful children. Children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instructions. So there were seers, there were prophets, but they want to say to them, 
Um, don't give us any more visions. Uh, tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Tell us what we want to hear. We do not. Would you stop confronting us, verse 11, with the Holy One of Israel? Get out of our way. See, they didn't want to hear the truth from God. They didn't want to listen to anything except positive messages that affirmed their disobedient choices. And that's exactly right, isn't it? Uh, Often when uh, we see people beginning to walk away from Christ, the, the first evidence is they stop coming to church. Because they don't want to hear what God's word has to say. They know full well what it says. They know that they will be confronted with their sin. And they just don't want to hear it. They just want to put their fingers in their ears because they've decided they, they, they're rebelling and they're walking away. And it's the same uh, today. It's interesting to me that um, the churches in Australia and America, they're often some of the biggest churches that can fill stadiums. And uh, the the men who can sell lots of books are are those who only say positive and encouraging things. We tell you things like, dream a bigger dream. Uh, The ones who are pursuing financial success and prosperity are preaching that message. Well, you'll fill stadiums with that. There's never any talk about sin or judgment or the holiness of God. And there'll be plenty of people who want to hear those sermons that affirm their own Sinful choices. A Christianity that has no confronting content. I don't know whether you've watched the, uh, that uh, comedy show on the BBC about uh, Rev, about this Church of England minister. I can barely watch it, I have to say. I'm t- it too, it's too annoying. But the basic message of it is, is God is nice, you are nice, and so be nice. That's the Christianity that is being proclaimed in Rev. And it's got nothing to do with biblical Christianity. And as we can see from Isaiah, it's not a modern phenomenon. The tragedy here is they are willfully rejecting God's words to pursue false security that's only going to lead to disaster, shame, and disgrace. Verse 12, Therefore this is what the Holy One of Israel says, Because you've rejected this message and relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found. Their solution, which looks so solid like a wall, will just collapse over them. It will leave them so broken that they'll be They will be useful for anything. And the world will offer us lots of solutions that promises to be solid and dependable. Oh, get wealth. Wealth will will be the solid thing you can depend upon. Get stocks and shares and gold and bonds and you'll be okay. Get education. Get fame. Get beauty. Get relationships. Get health. Get power. These are the things that the world offers out as false securities in this world. But if these are pursued while despising God's word, we will soon discover that we're relying on utter illusions that are heading to a, and we're heading to a devastating discovery. We'll soon discover that um, they're as useful as a teapot being dropped from a great height onto a stone floor. There'll be nothing to show for it. 
This is why God is waiting to be gracious to them. He's waiting to be gracious because uh, they're refusing to rely upon him and they're refusing even to listen to his words. But there was another way. There was hope. And that hope was found in repentance. Verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. As the Lord redeemed them out of Egypt, uh, they were they approaching the Red Sea and suddenly looked behind them and the Egyptian army was coming right behind them and they freaked out and panicked and complained to Moses, you brought us out here to kill us? And uh, Moses and the Lord have a conversation and Moses basically says to the people, you're going to see the salvation of God. All you have to do is be quiet. Watch what he is going to do. This is a lesson that we keep learning right through the scriptures. The salvation is of the Lord. He wins this salvation. He achieves it. We need to simply trust in him. Rely upon him. This is a profound verse about the... um, about salvation, any sort of security or, or salvation that relies on our own efforts, our own good works, especially our religious efforts, uh, that, of us busily going about frantically gathering up our own resources to achieve our salvation, is, is doomed to failure. And people load themselves with uh, all sorts of burdens, and, and religious burdens are the worst of the lot, to achieve some sort of self-salvation. But our only hope is not in our works, but in repentance. Turning away from false securities and our own attempts at self-salvation and instead resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear those words earlier in our New Testament reading? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, the Lord Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. He, he took the burden of our sin as he died on the cross in order to achieve our salvation and to bring us into relationship with this heavenly Father so that we could be those who quietly trust God to be the strength of our lives. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance And rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But, here's the tragedy, but you would have none of it, verse 15. They refuse to rely on God, they refuse to listen to God, and they refuse to repent. And so they would face the utter panic of their rebellious choices. Verse 16. You said, no, we're going to flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. The threat of five, you will all flee away till you're left like the flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. The defeat and the devastation that they were going to begin to experience in the land of Judah was all of their own making. 
It was their deliberate choice to reject God's offer of salvation. Uh, And so they would be found with a devastated country of Judah, leaving Jerusalem barely standing, surrounded by this devastated territory. And I want to suggest to you today that that's what we see in Europe, isn't it? That's what we see in Scotland. Walk around this city, we will seem a very Christian city. We are full of Christian churches and buildings. But we know, of course, that these are empty buildings, by and large. Many of them changed for other uses. Go around Europe, it's the, it's the same. Loads of churches from the time of the Reformation. But, but now they're empty. Standing like a lonely flag, flapping on a hill, with nothing else to show. Why is that? Well, because ministers and congregations stopped listening to the Bible and instead followed their own ideas of what the Christian faith should be. We're standing in the ruins and the rubble of history where people have turned their back on listening to God. They have relied on other strategies. They have refused to repent. And perhaps you are here today and um, you're feeling shattered by the sinful choices that you've made in your life. Maybe you're feeling panic. Maybe you're feeling the defeat of having wandered far from God. And for some reason, you are here today. And if that is true of you, I I want to say you are here today because of God's amazing grace. Because he wants to say something to you through Isaiah the prophet. You need to see something about the character of God here. Do you see that he is more willing to save them than they are willing to repent and be saved? This is the truth about God. He's more willing to save us than we are willing to repent and turn and to seek his salvation. For he is the gracious Lord. That's what we see in these remaining verses from 18 to 33. We've seen the rebellious children of 1 to 17. Here we see the gracious Lord. Look at verse 18 again. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. There's this common misunderstanding of the Bible that goes something like this. Uh, The God of the Old Testament is a sort of really angry God, a God of judgment. And the God of the New Testament is is a God of, of love and forgiveness and all that. You've heard that, have you? Well, it's a nonsense, of course. There's only one God whose character is the same uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we can see that by noting how often Jesus in the New Testament speaks of hell and judgment. And we see it too by looking at passages like this in the Old Testament that are full of the grace and the compassion of God. Look at the character of God revealed in these verses. See how eager he is to show grace. And compassion. He doesn't delight to see his children um, bringing destruction on themselves. He longs that they would turn, repent, and receive his grace and mercy. This is the father heart of God. Uh, This is what Jesus spoke of, didn't he, in that parable of the prodigal son. It's the younger son who decides that he wants to leave the father's house. To pursue his own freedom, to pursue his own self-indulgence that will lead him in a downward path 
all the way down to feeding pigs on a farm. And we don't know how long he did that for, but there's a moment where the story turns, isn't it? And it's that moment of repentance that begins in his mind. And he realizes, you know, the servants of my father's house, they eat better food than this. What am I doing here? And that repentance in his mind turns him, repents in his body as he begins that walk home, acknowledging that he has made a, a fool of himself, walking away from the Father. And he goes back with his speech of repentance. And there he is, even though he's a long way off, the Father saw him. And the Father rises to show him compassion and runs to him. And welcomes him, embraces him, kisses him, and restores him as a full son. Well, that's the amazing heart of God revealed in verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Our only hope as rebellious children is in such a gracious father, the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And verses 18 to 33 really uh, hold out to this rebellious people the promise of, of what God's gracious presence would mean to them if they would only call upon him. Verse 19, O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. We've thought about why was he waiting to show them grace. What does it mean to wait upon him? Well, here it says in verse 19. It is to cry out to him for help. Do you see how this is the exact opposite of the problem that they had in their rebellion? To cry out to him means I, I, I'm, I'm turning away from self-reliance or reliance on my plans. I'm crying out to rely upon him. I want to rely on him for salvation. And instead of being one who's refusing to listen, by crying out for help, I'm showing that I'm listening to him and I'm responding to him. And that I'm now repenting. Verse 20, Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more with your own eyes. You will see him. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Now, this is what they could graciously know if they will turn to him. They will know God as their teacher. Their rebellion will bring them trouble, but God's grace can even work in that. You see there, the bread of adversity, the water of affliction given by the Lord can be the means to bring us to come and see things more clearly. And suddenly to realize God's presence and guidance. It can bring us into a closer relationship with the Lord where we more intimately hear what he has to say to us. And he guides us into fresh obedience, throwing away the false things that we've been depending upon. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away. And if they called out to their gracious Lord, they'd also know him not only as their teacher but as their healer. And in very extravagant verses, in verse 23 to 26, we see God healing the land with abundant rain, producing rich harvests, fat livestock, and a renewed world of, of brightness and light. Look what's going on in that, verse um, 25. 
when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. If you've been wandering far from him and you're experiencing the uh, bread of adversity, know this, he wounds only to heal. He wants to bind you up and restore you. Will you turn to him? He wants to be your teacher. He wants to be your healer. He wants to be your warrior, verse 27 to 33. He wants to be our defender. If they will but turn to God, they will see once again, God will fight for them. God will deliver them. They won't need to expend any of their own riches, uh, their own wealth, their money to buy this protection. All they need to do is cry out to him and he will deliver them. The Lord's majestic voice, verse 30, will um, make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire with cloudbursts, thunderstorm and hail. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria with his scepter. He will strike them down. Just as he did with Egypt, he will do this to the armies of Assyria if they will but cry out to him. Now the exciting thing is we're going to see as we read on in the, in the coming weeks is that this is exactly what took place. Finally, Hezekiah gives up his failed strategies and he listens to the word of God and he calls out to the Lord and in one night, you'll never believe what happened. But you'll have to come back in here and find out. But they would know God coming in grace to be their teacher, their healer, their warrior if they would but call out upon him in repentance and trust. Do you see, repentance and trust is the way forward in salvation. It's the way we start our Christian walk. It's the way we go on in our Christian walk. It is just as true today. This, although the circumstances in this chapter are very specific and historical, this is the same God that we are worshipping and living before. This is the character of the God that we are dealing with in our lives. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the, we have the access to the same gracious God. Romans chapter 8, um, we're going to get onto it soon in the evening, tells us how gracious he'll be at the sound of our cry. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What amazing promises are given to those who turn from self-reliance to trust. I forgot to ask my son for permission for this story. But he was 20 months old, so it's going to be okay, Nathan, I'm sure. 20 months. You've changed a lot since then. But I remember when Nathan was about 20 months old, um, a phrase we used to hear a lot was this, no way. No way. He became quite, he doesn't say it so much these days, it's great, but he used to say it a lot back then. It was a cry of defiance. It was a cry from a toddler who had better plans and ideas than his parents uh, we lived at the time in an apartment in Sydney. It was next to a very busy road. I remember once that Nathan decided to start running down the side alley towards the busy main street. We called out to him to stop and turn around, but the cry came back, No way! And he stepped up the pace. He knew better. He had a better plan. He was determined to carry it out. He was oblivious to the fact that he was heading for danger and possibly death. And I kept preaching repentance to him. 
shouting louder and louder. Stop running. Turn around. But thinking it was a game, he just kept running until I caught up with him, grabbed him, and I brought him back kicking and screaming as I imparted to him some loving words of instruction. (laughs) And I I wonder, you know, as I've been praying about this, I wonder whether even today, you are here today in the church today because the Lord's brought you here to hear these words. You've been the prodigal son or daughter running headlong into trouble and danger, all of your own making. Well, here is God's word today. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. This is what it means to wait upon him, to call out to him. Why don't you call out to him for help today? Come to me, Jesus said. All who are weary and burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And if we will come to him this day in repentance, we will know him as our father, who is our teacher, our healer, and our defender. Why don't you come to him this day? Let's pray.